Today's show is being brought to you by contributors at Patreon. Go to patreon.com backslash the education game to support the show and thanks. Hey gamers, this is Matt and today we've got a great interview, one that continues our efforts to help you learn how to become your child's head coach. Now remember, it is your job to actively build and execute your child's learning plan. Why? Because your child's school can't do it. They won't do it. School was built for a completely different time, a time when grades were more important than actual learning, when what you knew mattered, but not what you could do with what you know. That matters now. So these podcasts are meant to create nausea in the listeners, particularly the parents who watch their child take state-mandated tests and assignments. You should feel nauseous because that means your child's school is preparing you for 1985 and not 2035, where curiosity, creativity, problem solving, and character are gonna matter so much more than ever before. So with that happy introduction, let's get into our podcast. This is Matt with The Education Game. Hey everybody, uh, welcome to another edition of the Education Game uh, podcast and vlog. And so, for the gamers on the show to or listening in today, um, I've got a really special guest. I've got somebody from not, I think, almost exactly halfway around the world, Australia, um, a guy named Chris Manage, who I had a chance to meet once again on LinkedIn. Again, parents, I want you to hear the power that comes from building your network and your kids building your network like my 16 and 15 year old kids are doing right now, building networks with folks uh, around the world. Um, so Chris and I share a, a passion for education and here's a guy who has so many different experiences that he's bringing to education. I think he's a person that parents need to listen to because he, again, he's got a perspective that I believe is gonna be quite uh, normal in the future, unfortunately, it's going to take a few years before we get there. So let me bring on Chris. Hello, Chris. How are you today? Hi, Matt. How are you going, mate? Great, great. Well, he called me mate already. So that is that is what I'm trying to become. Uh, you know, more culturally sensitive. I should have called you mate as well, since you're in the land down under, huh? It's all good. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for being here. So, um, Chris, one of the things that I usually start with uh, when I when I interview somebody is to understand their own personal educational journey. Um, before off air, Chris had a chance to tell me that he was uh, born in the Republic of Mauritius, which, in my ignorance, I had to tell him I had no idea where that was. He has already schooled me. It's a uh, it's a small island nation east of Madagascar, right? And so just amazing. So Chris, give me give me a sense of kind of the of your educational journey. I know you've done business, you've done some government work, you've done an education. So school us. Sure, Matt, thank you. Uh, look, I, ha I had a rather um, traditional schooling experience in terms of schooling system. Yeah. It was a, uh, a very much a, a Catholic schooling system for the most part, certainly primary school. Um, and that was in Australia where my parents uh, migrated when I was about uh, four years old. We left Mauritius and as a family of uh, six, four boys, uh, yeah. mum and dad um, left at a time when a lot of people were leaving that country uh, looking for new opportunities, looking for educational opportunities for their children. Um, so very much a, um, a bit of an exodus from Mauritius at that time. Yeah. And um, we, so we moved with four, four boys under the age of five uh, to Australia, to Perth, Western Australia. Mm -hmm. And I attended a, a Catholic primary school. Um, in first year of high school, my parents decided to go back to Mauritius um, they had had a they'd given Australia a red hot crack, um, and it had proved you know it had met up to its expect their expectations um, for a lot of it. However, I think the uh, the isolation, the cultural isolation for them, the social networks were perhaps missing, mm -hmm. um, and the economic uh, the economic opportunities probably weren't what they had hoped. So they we returned as a family. Let me pause you there because I want to I want to 
dig a little bit deeper into some of these early educational experiences. You mentioned Catholic school. Was it traditional kind of rigid Catholic school, you know, sit in your chair, go to uh, mass every day, that sort of thing? Yeah, so it was, it was co-ed. Um, and it was, I suppose, very, uh, traditional in that sense, in terms of, you know, um, rows of seats, uh, very, uh, very respectful, a lot of values based education, as you'd expect, um, a lot of community mindedness, but very practical. Yes. Um, it was a beautiful little primary school. Um, and I was very fortunate to be there, uh, but I wouldn't describe it as, um, out of the box. They were probably innovative for their time in some of the curriculum that we were doing. Um, but it was still, I suppose, very hierarchical in, in, in that sense. Sure. That's that's the Catholic structure. OK. And now so you move from uh, a French speaking country to Australia and now in high school, you go back to Correct. this place you haven't been in, been there for for a decade or so. Uh, what was that like? And tell me about the educational shift that happened as a result. Uh, Matt, that's really uh, a challenging time in, um, in, in, in life. It was actually, it's, it's a mixed bag of emotions. It was very uh, exciting, um, a, a lot of fun, reuniting with family, um, discovering new family and new friends, and obviously living on a tropical island. Um, we were living on the beach. I'd gone, wow. from, living in a, I'd gone from living on a, on a chicken farm in sort of a, not, not outback uh, Australia by no means of the imagination, but probably country sort of Australia um, and um, and uh, moved to a tropical island where I was living on the beach with, uh, you know, what? everything that that entails as a teenager. <laughs> I don't know what that entails, but I want to. So <laughs> so, yeah, so well, you, it was a kind of an idyllic um, uh, high school experience then? Well, so interesting. So, that, so the family and the social environment was as idyllic as you could possibly imagine, Matt. I was a very privileged uh, boy, young man, um, beautiful family, very connected uh, community. Mm. And as I said, living in an idyllic place. The schooling environment in the first year and a half, um, so bearing in mind this is my first year of high school, I was mm-hmm. 13, mm-hmm. Um, was very, very challenging in that I went from a first world country with a brand new school for my high school with all the bells and whistles that that entails air conditioning beautiful campus Mm. um, you know bespoke uh infrastructure with the best of the best teachers really um and then i went to a developing nation which um really does things tough at times And, and although the school that i went to initially had a lot of history. I think it was about 120 years old at the time. Its infrastructure was incomparable um, and its uh, its culture and its processes were something that I had never experienced before. Um, so big time culture almost, shock. Almost brutal, I would say. Um, yeah. And I remember, you know, we were talking about, you and I just started our conversations around sort of our cultural uh, immersions. Yes. In terms of a cultural experience, to go from um, the western suburbs, what we call the western suburbs of Perth, which is very monocultural, particularly in the 80s, um, to Mauritius, which is a, it's known as the sort of potpourri of all the different cultures of the world. We have everything in, in Mauritius. Really? Um, hmm. Yeah. So I sort of walked into a classroom where I was probably only one of, out of 44 students in a tiny classroom. I was one of only maybe five Caucasians, um, and that was oh. and that was something that I had never experienced before. So that was um, that was quite a learning experience for me. Yeah, um, and it was interesting to be on the mirror side of, I suppose, what minority groups in Australia had experienced, particularly in the eighties. You know. Oh yeah, sure, sure. Okay, so how did that? So let's continue on on your educational journey. And then you got you got you've done a lot of things, so let's let's pick up the pace here. <laughs> I don't I don't want to bore you too much. Yeah, look, uh, so I suppose it was very confronting. You know, the, there was a lot of racism, um, institutional racism. Uh, there was a lot of uh, discrimination, inequality. The teaching was uh, f- varied from being exceptional to being absolutely horrific. And I can give you stories which are probably not fit for your audience in terms of 
what teachers would do physically to children mm. um, and what kids would actually see in terms of content. Um, you know, the worst pedagogy that you could possibly imagine. However, the sense of camaraderie that I have from even to this day from those, um, and that was an all boys school, by the way, mm-hmm. um, in initially, uh, stays to this day because it was almost like a survival of the fittest. Um, yeah, it sounds like a military I, like, experience almost, huh? Uh, yeah, look, it, it's not something that I would wish upon, although I know I learned a lot and I um, and I gained a lot of strength, it's not something I would wish upon my kids. Sure. Um, but anyway, I, I then went from there to a international school. So Mauritius in the early 90s was going through a bit of an economic boom. Its, its, its population, its demographic was becoming a lot more... Um, open to the to the world with you know expats coming to Mauritius and so on hmm. and, and that community wanted to create a new educational pathway for their children so I was fortunate enough for my parents to be able to afford to send me to a international uh, school which I was the first graduating year of that school hmm. um, its curriculum was an IB curriculum um, however to give you an indication of how new it was the teachers in the school weren't ready for that curriculum for my year group. So we did um, the Cambridge A-levels, the GCSE for um, your form five, I think we called it. Yeah. And then the HSC for form six. Gotcha, gotcha. All right, so so this was your this was your formative years. Um, how, did, how did you move into the space where you now have done startups, um, right? You've done governmental uh, work as well. And then how did you end up getting into education and what did all these experiences do for you to give you a perspective around education? So I think, Matt, we started the conversation when we said that migration really forms people's worldview. So I think from a very young age, I had a bit of an explorer's mind. I loved discovery. I loved meeting people. Um, and I loved what that could bring to my understanding of life and the world and how things work. Mm. Um, so I think I was quite adventurous in that regard. Um, and also the family context and where we lived meant that we took a lot of risks. Um, we lived in the ocean. We probably did things in the ocean which um, uh, wouldn't be acceptable, uh, you know, in, in terms of safety standards in this day and age. <laughs> um, but I, I, I think uh, what it also meant is that Mauritius didn't really offer a clear career pathway in those days. Mm-hmm. It was an expectation that you would go study overseas. Yeah. Um, the natural inclination then was for me to go to Perth to study at, at university, where, again, I suppose the pathways were limited. It was expected that I'd either do medicine, accounting, law, or... Engineering. Um, engineering. Very, very traditional. Right. Um, and um, none of those really suited me. So I did the most general thing possible, which was a Bachelor of Commerce um, majoring in international business at the time. Yeah. And that just opened up opportunities. You know, I worked for the government initially um, in Perth. Then I went to London uh, and I traveled and worked there for about three, four years where I worked for the immigration department and also set up a... Um, a migration consultancy, uh, a private migration consultancy. Hmm. And at the age of about 28, I realized that, look, I was earning good money. I was traveling, I was skiing, I was having fun. Uh, but I didn't really feel like I was doing anything that was fueling my sense of meaning and purpose. Yeah. And so that was 28, you said? Roughly, yeah. Roughly, yeah. 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 So you had made some good money. You had, had built a uh, I'm, I'm looking at your uh, your LinkedIn feed and you've got a lot of accolades. So at that point, you started to try to figure out what success meant for you. And it wasn't just getting more money and, and building your own business, right? Yeah, I think so, Matt. Although I'll have a caveat with that. And it's easy to um, indulge in that sort of self-reflection when you have the uh, the, inf- the the scaffolding around you to permit you to do that both financially, emotionally, you know. Sure, uh, sure. I think we, I think we need to be realistic about that. But yeah, I was fortunate enough to also have grown up in a family where, being sort of francophile, we always had large family meals, and we were always encouraged to debate and argue and explore opinions. So from a very young age, um, we were, you know, we were discussing those sorts of existential issues um 
with our parents and with our family friends. Uh, so to come back to your question, sorry, it was... Um, well, actually, I'd, I'd like to hold on for a second because you hit some points that I want parents to actually hear. So you, your, your travel, and again, it was migration, but your travel... Um, inspired some kind of explore a desire for exploration um, that you love. You realized you started to love interacting with uh, different types of peoples and you also took a lot of risks. And so this whole issue of risk is something that is a theme that I'm hearing from every um, uh, adult who moves into an, uh, an entrepreneurial mindset. Risk is normal, right? It's actually really abnormal to live a life without risk, because that means you're not pushing the envelope at all, right? So that, I think that's an important piece. Um, I think it's also important that you didn't have a clear pathway um, to to move. I, I talk about it in terms of there's a conveyor belt mentality where if I just keep my head down, do what the teacher tells me, you know, move to the next model, then my life will be happy. Um, and I guess to some degree, we all come to that point where we realize that the conveyor belt actually doesn't exist uh, and happiness is whatever we define and whatever we pursue. And so um, and then lastly, this issue of you growing up in a large family where, fa where family members were arguing, it was encouraged, it was uh, normal, you had big meals. And so there's I can I just kind of can imagine that. Uh, that experience around the table. So those are all formative activities that help a young person prepare for a, a life that's going to be quite disruptive, regardless of the uh, of of the pathway that you, you you might hope for yourself. So back to you, Chris. So now you uh, you were at the um, the consulate or the embassy, excuse me, the Australian government embassy, doing working on uh, immigration work, and then you started your own business. How did you end up making this switch into education? So um, I suppose my my mum had been a teacher and I had a number of family, extended family that were teachers. Mm -hmm. um, my partner at the time was a teacher and um, I sort of had a pretty good insight into the work that they were doing and how that was, whilst it was challenging and tiring for them, it wasn't draining. It didn't it didn't sap them of their spark. Uh, um, whereas I found that being in the corporate world personally, and particularly sitting behind a computer all day, um, I, I found I didn't find that enriching in terms of my my spark. Yeah. Um, and you know, I was a fairly energetic young man, um, so I think I needed something a little bit more varied from a day to day, Matt. The, the analogy that I like to use, and I've got to be careful not to offend 350 million people in America here by drawing a stereotype. Come on, insult us. Cuisine, <laughs> that your cuisine is bland. But if I was to say, if I was to say, how fantastic is it to go to different countries or to a different, you know, uh, family and to try different foods where for the first time you put that food into your mouth and your palate explodes with all these new tastes and sensations and, you know, perhaps you'll burn your tongue once or um, as, um, as a, a lovely Greek young lady who was hosting me in Athens for the 2004 Olympics Games, I had gone with my partner to volunteer there and this lady kindly opened her home for us and to thank her, we took her to her first Thai restaurant that she'd ever been to and she promptly... <laughs> She had never been outside of Greece and she promptly put her fingers in the chili bowl and then scratched her eye. Oh. <laughs> you know? Um, now, I think, I think that's an experience that she'll never forget. It's, oh, no it's doubt. I'll never forget taking her to the, to the laboratory and putting water in her eye. And, um, but, you know, I think, I think life needs to be like a really varied palate. Mm. Um, I think life is there for the tasting and... Um, I think that we, as parents, we are caught sometimes in this tension between this bind between protecting our children out of love and suffocating their ability to grow into themselves. Yes. There's a, there's a beautiful, um, there's a beautiful uh, little clip on YouTube by a lady called Connie Podesta. I don't know if you've seen it. Mm -mm, um, where she basically, you know, asks the audience, 
you know, hands up if you want your children to be happy. And, you know, everyone puts their hands up, obviously. And she says, well, why is that our motivation truly? Wouldn't, wouldn't we rather our children be whole? Mm. Um, because, because life isn't solely happy. Life is a whole myriad of, uh, it's a kaleidoscope of colors. Um, and there's a, beautiful, uh, there's a beautiful quote also similarly in a book called The Good Life by an Australian author called Hugh Mackay where there's a paragraph where he says, I challenge this notion of happiness um, as an outcome. I would rather focus on wholeheartedness and the entire spectrum of what life is. Because if we don't know what um, sadness is, how do we know what happiness is? If we don't know what the dark times are, how can we enjoy the light times? Mm. That's that's good stuff. If we don't know what bad weather is, how do we enjoy the good weather? That's right. That's good. That's good stuff. You know, um, I'd like to hear those uh, those authors one more time, if you don't mind. The the TED or the speaker on YouTube. So the YouTube uh, author is Connie Podesta, C O N I E. Podesta, P O D E S T A. Yep, I'll find it. Good. And then and um, the author is uh, Hugh Mackay, M C K A Y or M A C K A Y, I think. Hugh. Great, I'll find it. Excellent. Uh, the good line. Excellent. So, uh, are these are these messages? This idea of life is a varied palette. Let me let me actually take a quick aside. I interviewed someone earlier today who is writing a book called the No the Non Recipe Book, and it's a book about how life is not a recipe. You can't follow these steps and get the cake. Right? You have to experiment. You have to fail you have to try things and and finally you'll find you know uh your life and so these these references to food um really relate i I relate to um i love the idea of challenging the notion of happiness because i i've been doing parent coaching for 10 years and always um one of the questions i ask is uh you know to what does happiness mean for you families? And, and oftentimes they will say a college degree or uh, a, 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 um, uh, a, a, my child having a great career. And usually I say, well, isn't your child's character more important than both of those? But what you just talked about is um, that, that we need to be more intentional about even challenging the idea that happiness should be the goal. And that's interesting. I'll have to think more about that. What are your thoughts? Matt, I think this is a really um, important point that you're making. And, and I, my hope and my wish is that as educators, we can have more and more of these conversations, both with our parental community, but also with our students. Because for me, this is the key. Um, and it's this understanding to, to build this understanding that life is not only, as you said before, it's not a linear pathway, yeah. but more than that, it is meant to have adversity in it. Um, and you, you mentioned earlier that we, um, we sort of approach risk as a negative. I would combine, and that we shouldn't, and that we should embrace it as a learning opportunity. I would combine with that the notion that failure is not a negative. Yes. Um, you know, in, in, in prehistoric times, you could argue that uh, the younger folk, when they were um, not trained by their elders, but when they were initiated by their elders, I imagine um, that it would have been an essential part of their learning to make necessary mistakes in order to learn That's right. what not to do, you know, That's right. whether That's that right. be hunting and gathering or whether that be, you know, creating a, a you know, a, a, safe, a safe shelter. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, when I look back and I have to, again, put a caveat, there's always a caveat to whatever we talk about, isn't there, Matt? Because because nothing's nothing's absolute, okay? And we live in a binary world where people want absolutes and they want the they want things in black and white and in one and zero. And it's not like that. We That's live right. in a in a gray space. So, if I look at who I am today at the age of forty four, and the adverse situations and challenges that I've faced, um, although I would have loved to not necessarily have to deal with some of the grief and the pain and all those sorts of things. I can categorically state that I wouldn't be the person I am today without those experiences. Mm. And therefore I wouldn't have it any other way. Mm. Um, 
because as a consequence of those experiences, I think I'm a better person. I think I'm a better father. Um, and um, I think my life has been more meaningful to date and hopefully it can, you know, it can continue to get better. But, um, you know, and, and I've faced adversity. I, I lost a brother, my family and I, we lost our eldest son. Um, so so my, my oldest brother, hmm. uh, at, I, was, um, I was 26, 27. Hmm. Um, and he was 32 um, and he disappeared at sea. Uh, he was oh. a diving instructor and he was a, a yacht skipper and his body was never found. So oh. um, a, a, as a young guy to watch your parents go through that, oh. to lose your, the eldest brother, it's, it, it, it's really challenging. But when I look at the flow and effect of that, of what that did in terms of stopping and looking at yourself, interrogating yourself, what are you about? What do you want to do in life? What does life mean? What do the small moments mean? I think it's a very important stepping stone for me to understanding that grey um, and that wholeheartedness that Hugh Mackay refers to. Mm. You know, um, wow. So first off, sorry about your brother, but I, I hear you in that, and I I know that was some years ago, but I hear you in the sense of. Um, you know, the, our response to these setbacks is actually um, is actually what is what's meaningful, right? And so you grew from that. You 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 watched your parents really. I can't, as, a, as a dad, you know, as a dad, I can't think of I can't think of anything that would be more difficult than losing my child, right? Uh, but it happens yeah. all the time. Hold um, on. Yeah, yeah. And and um, you know, I was listening to. I don't know if you have you ever heard of a podcast called on being it's no. an, it's an american podcast um uh on on being and last week my family and i listened to it together and it talked about um how uh, there's this great poem uh called kindness and 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 the poet was describing how uh when you go through great suffering the only thing that's really left is kindness because you realize that we're all suffering in some way and it it does make you a better human being and so careful about trying to avoid suffering was was one of the themes around this so it's um so but i'm now looking at your linkedin post you have some things here that you're just kind of touching on a little bit um you're, you're running an organization called e squared educational ecosystems and I want to hear more about that but you say that the world is uncertain and interconnected and change is the only thing you can be assured of. Uh, and so how do you work with one, one, what is education squared or E squared educational ecosystems? And then how do you deal with uh, helping, I don't know, kids, adults deal with this idea of change, which I can 100% agree with you that the, that's the only thing we know is going to happen going forward, change. So tell me about that. So E squared, uh, Matt, the, the philosophy behind it is that um, it represents the amplification that's possible, the amplification of learning and the quality of that learning when we, um, when we collaborate and when we work together. So, you know, the old adage of together, everyone achieves more yeah. um, or, you know, hashtag better together. For me, that really resonates because, again, if I look back at my experiences to date, um, I have been able to become a better person and a more um, fulfilled person thanks to those interactions. And so, but for those interactions, I don't think I would be um, as as content or as um, have as much wherewithal as what I feel I do now. Mm. Um, so that's what E squared, I suppose, as a as a philosophy, it's that notion of amplification. Yeah. Um, why educational ecosystems? Again, it's, it's to re represent the notion that there are so many different um, stakeholders, in, uh, vested interests, um, people uh, of diverse backgrounds um, involved in the educational sphere that it can sometimes be a bit of a jungle out there. And it's a very tricky, it, it's a very tricky space to navigate if you're not familiar with the jargon um, and the terminology. So mm. I... My hope is through educational ecosystems is to try and demystify that a bit, is to try and provide a bit of a bridge between 
um, some of those stakeholders, some of those um, uh, different different groups, because often the language, uh, there's a common language that needs to be created. And having worked in different contexts, having worked in government administration, private enterprise, and in schools, um, my sense was that that made that was okay. that was a familiar space for me. I could find the language between a local charity group and what my school wanted to achieve. I could understand what kids were crying out for versus what the local business was trying to um, get out of having apprentices there. Yeah. Um, so that's what E squared is about. And and so you're kind of a bridge. Sorry, you're a bridge between. Um, I guess I'll call it real life and uh, those kids and families that are trying to shepherd themselves towards adulthood. Is that kind of? Not just the kids and families, um, Matt, also the teachers who are looking to um, improve their, I shouldn't mm. say improve, sorry, who are looking to expand their worldviews and their mindsets and their dispositions. You know, Matt, you, you have an exceptionally unique mindset and disposition to do what you do you see the world in a way that a lot of people don't see and so you venture out and do what you're doing um, and you explore and i feel that more and more and more educators need to have that mindset because it, it with the with that mindset we will not only be upskilling ourselves but we will also be role modeling for our our charges those people in our care will be role modeling what is so important, which is it's okay to be curious and to and to have a crack at something and to not do it okay. It's okay to not know. It's more about how we find out. Um, hmm. Yeah. And so I try and one of the things I try and do, so not just the parents, it's also the teachers, it's also the schools, um, and it's also at a systems level to try and match up almost like a, almost like a, um, speed dating uh you know trying to match up the right innovators with the right schools so for instance you know i might speak to a school in australia who says to me that they're looking for a parental mentoring program and i'd say to them hey i had a talk with a guy called matt barnes in in the us and you know he's got an amazing repertoire of resources you need to tap into that and 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 you would also tell them to fly matt down to australia um and hopefully on a beach someplace uh that would be their next look, part look that anything can be arranged anything's possible Matt. um <laughs> well well getting back to what you were just describing i mean you just said a lot in that piece i was trying to write down a, a lot of it but i love the idea of adults not just parents but teachers ed educational leadership governmental in actors right everyone being okay to not know the answer, right? Because we're modeling it to our kids and we're gonna build systems of education that are, uh, I would argue, more resilient and more uh, um, uh, relevant when we're helping a kid realize that it's okay not to know the answer to things. The, the, the challenge is how do you then find the answer? How do you, how do you, uh, you know, push into that space? And so uh, for teachers, who at least I don't know what it's like in Australia, but in in the United States, teachers have been systematically um, uh, removed from decision making, right? In, in almost every in almost every way in education, they're treated like. And my back my professional background is healthcare administration, and so I've spent a lot of time with docs. Docs are treated as professionals. Teachers are treated like technicians, right? And, and as a result, what you're describing, I think we are creating a, a community of educators that, that haven't learned how to do the things you're describing because they've never been encouraged to do so. In fact, they've been actively um, discouraged from doing so. And so how do you do this? Do you, do you, do you, how, do you, how do you connect with a teacher or groups of teachers? And then how do you help them learn these, these you know, agile thinking skills, these um, uh, the other ways we could describe it would be, um, you know, um, design thinking skills, risk tolerance. How do you do that? Uh, there's probably three things I'd say to that, Matt. Um, the first one is I, I think it's no surprise that the majority of teachers or educators um, perpetuate the the system within which 
they have themselves um, not only been uh, brought up in, but most likely benefited from because if they've achieved certain academic outcomes, they're qualified and then they're, you know, they have a good job and then they're back in the system. So yeah, yeah. It, it, it's, it sort of defeats, it's it, it sort of um, self-fulfilling. It and... Yeah, it would be contradictory to sort of challenge that because you'd be saying, well, you know, it served me well. Why, why would I question that? Mm. Um, Interesting. So I think that's a, that's the first tension that's there. And I think if we are, if we are self actualized and self-confident enough, it's okay to say that without creating animosity or division or tribes or entrenched positions. Um, and I think, unfortunately, we now live in a world where people are fearful of saying things that other people might disagree with because uh, we are having trouble navigating that grey space that I was referring to before. Mm. The liminal space, I think, is the, techno- uh, is the technical term. What's, it, what's um, the term? The liminal, the liminal space, you know, the oh. space of disequilibrium, the space of um, of uh, transitioning or transformation, I suppose. Interesting. Okay. Okay. Well, That's the model it. is up on the screen now. So talk to me about this model, Chris. So I suppose, Matt, th- this model for me is a, is a representation of my understanding of, um, of, of life and how education plays a role in, in, in that journey. And so what I've tried to do is I've tried to take the notion of a, a, uh, a technical um, theory or such as Bloom's taxonomy, mm-hmm. which, um, which technically describes how we learn and uh, remember things and, and, uh, and, and work. Combine that with a more uh, so uh, physiological, um, psychological uh, concept around Bloom's uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, because in, in in my view, when we do those two things together, the learning becomes more meaningful for us and for the students and for mm-hmm. our students. So walk me uh, through this. So you're 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 a uh, you know talk me starts from the bottom up. Bloom's taxonomy is not something that most parents are going to know. Maslow, maybe, uh, but yep. walk through this from the bottom up for me. So Bloom's, you know, the theory of Bloom's is basically um, that there are varying levels of difficulty in what we do. So the simplest thing that we can possibly do is, you know, to remember something and to recall something, to rote learn essentially. Yeah. You know, you can teach a, you can teach a monkey to peel a banana. Um, and the monkey will peel. It will remember how to peel the banana. Um, the monkey won't necessarily understand why it needs the banana. Okay, right. right. And I suppose that, that's, that's that next level um, is, is that ability to understand and to apply that information to the relevant um, context. Got um, it. So let me let me just back up. So parents, this is really important. So uh, first is just the facts that you are knowing and, and remembering. The next one is understanding and knowing what to do with those facts. Now, when you think about most of your your child's experience, you'll see a lot of ev- a lot of emphasis on that first level, the bottom blue uh, bottom line uh, on the left side of the screen there. Um, and so now Chris is taking us through these higher levels of learning. So understanding and applying is next. Then, Chris. So, so you're spot on. So the facts and the understanding, these things are all very tangible. Mm-hmm. They are usually quantifiable. They are usually measurable. They are usually, compart- you can compartmentalize them and categorize them. They are usually binary and absolute things. So, so very- me, sorry to interrupt. So these are perfect for a multiple choice test, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which I hate, by the way. So, okay, yeah. keep and, going. And, and, and these are very much, these are very much, I think, reflective of the traditional paradigm and the traditional, uh, you know, factory model of education where chuck in 25 kids into a classroom in rows. um, The inputs are the information. The outputs are the answers that we've drilled into them. uh, Give them a neat little mark that categorizes them into a particular echelon and Mm. then pump them out. That's that's the output. Mm. Where's Mm. the humanity in that, Matt? Where's where's the... uh, Don't get me started. Where's the nuance? (laughs) Uh, we talked about uh, our culinary uh, delights earlier. Yeah. Where's the spice? <laughs> um, yeah. So don't, don't get me started on that. <laughs> Keep going up here. 
So what I so what I've tried to illustrate there is that these what I would describe as lower echelons, and I appreciate that some people will be offended by that because I'll say that's a value a values laden term. But the reality is that, in my opinion, um, education is values laden. I don't see how you can learn without having an element of value uh, and subjectiveness yes. uh, to it. Great so, uh, you know, my aim with, with, with my students, and I've worked with kids in a residential living uh, context, which is 24-7 for 40 weeks a year. Uh, you know, I've done that for 11 years. Um, so I feel like I've got a fairly good grasp of... Um, when, when I look at the, 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 those children that I remember who stand out in my mind as fulfilled young people, mm. um, I would argue that they have, they have gone through this, this journey of embracing challenge in order to, to go up the echelons of Maslow's and um, Bloom's uh, taxonomy. Because yeah. what it shows here is that you've got the little caterpillar at the bottom, okay? And I, you know, my kids are a little bit older now, but when they were very young, we used to read Eric Carle's um, yeah, the, the Hungry, Hungry Caterpillar. Caterpillar. Yeah, sure. You know, and and so the this caterpillar, this naughty caterpillar, you know, uh, uh, indulges on too much food, and he's then sick, and you know, and, and then eventually transforms into a beautiful butterfly. So what I'm trying to represent in this model is that at every juncture prior to going to that next level we as human beings and and certainly our students our younger folk will encounter some form of tension some form of conflict some form of risk adversity whatever you want to call it hmm. where they will need to navigate that liminal space so those blue shaded areas there that's the liminal space that they're the challenges hmm. and i've put it there intentionally because without those challenges that caterpillar can't venture into its cocoon where all of its metamorphosis will will happen and where it will it will it will transform itself into this butterfly um, that then goes on to find its own pathway which mm. if I can, if i can imagine a butterfly flying around there's nothing particularly linear about it <laughs> <laughs> no question just like life right just like life very yeah. very cool i suppose that's um I'll come out of here. Uh, and there's a lot of research behind this, Matt. So what I try and do is I try and design those sorts of uh, illustrations to explain some of that pedagogical um, uh, theory that you and I are familiar with, but that um, uh, businesses, parents, uh, students, um, not-for-profits might not be familiar with. Right. That's exactly right. So, so for the parents listening... Um, that graphic is something I'm going to, Chris, maybe you can send, give me a link to direct people to that graphic. This, that graphic is something that as you're watching your kids grow, you want to be making sure they're moving up on that scale. Uh, and again, in a lot of my working with families and kids, a lot of kids get stuck. They get stuck in that lower part of that scale and they never metamorphosize to growing into empathy and to uh, a better sense of who they are, what their purpose is on this planet. That's a very neat idea. That's, and I think that's what, Chris, what motivated me to reach out to you because I saw that and I said, I want to understand that more. And I think parents may want to understand that more too. Um, okay, so this is, how you, this is how you teach people. This is like the foundation of your, of your description of your work, huh? Awesome. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, there's there's two other models at the moment, which I also rely on, uh, resonance squared and uh, bridge squared. And again, I suppose the consistency there around the amplification component that it's only by immersing ourselves into the process that we will and, and collaborating that we will learn. You know, today you and I have now collaborated for almost an hour. Um, you've given me a couple of resources. Um uh, you know, I'm observing the way that you're conducting a professional uh, uh, interview o online remotely with someone that you've never met, something which I haven't done yet. And mm. so just by osmosis, I'm, I'm learning from you, you know, yeah. um, and, and hopefully I'm contributing to your uh, day in the same way. Absolutely. And, and as we start to close this down, Chris, there was a, a, a guy I'm working with. Um, his name is Andrew Sachs. He runs a, a great program. You should take a look. It's called Nobel Explorers, but it connects kids all around the world. In any case, um, I was talking to him last night 
And I asked him some questions about, you know, wanting to understand how things work. And he said, Matt, you know what, you know what tech people do when they want to understand something? They call somebody who knows how to do that thing. And they spend 10 minutes talking to them and they'll learn a thousand times faster than if they went online or if they watched a YouTube video or if they opened a book. So this is how this is how learning happens now where and 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 again, thousands of miles separate us, but it's like you're here in in the room with me. And uh, this is how learning happens. And for the families that are listening, now is an opportunity like has never been happened that has never happened in the history of humanity. A person can in real time talk to someone across the globe. And, you know, this conversation, it took five minutes to set up. It was so simple. And now I've learned something extremely valuable from a guy who I would never normally meet in my entire life. And that is where education is moving, folks. So if your child is learning the way you learned growing up, I can promise you there's a problem. Uh, and Chris and Chris's work also helps teachers and administrators and government officials understand that if they are advocating for the same policies that that were in place when they were coming up, I can promise them that they're wrong as well. So. Chris, this has been great. Any last closing comments about kind of your work or, or some like maybe a morsel of, uh, of of wisdom you want to share for families that might be listening to this call? I don't know about wisdom, Matt, but I, I, I would I would love uh, to have another conversation. Uh, that's the first thing. Definitely. Because um, I'm really curious about what you're doing and, and the way that you're synthesizing a lot of these complex things. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd love to learn some of the technical know-how of how you've, stuff, <laughs> you've set this up because I'm a... I'm a digital uh, migrant. I'm not a digital native. Yep. yep. Um, but I think, you know, if I could probably wrap it up um, with, with with this uh, reflection, Matt, and that is that I remember in my first um, experience looking after kids in a residential environment, it was my first group that I'd seen through. So we were with them for three years from year 10 to year 12 in Australia, which is basically from their 15 to 18 and so I'd seen these young men, 44 young men, um, go through some very significant life experiences. Um, we lost one of the students at the time, and so I made a close relationships with that family, and we mm. integrated that family into our community and how that community sort of um, grew together through that experience. But the, the, the point of what I'm reflecting about is I remember in my very last tutorial with them, so bear in mind this is three years, um, 40 weeks a year, 24-7 for those 40 weeks. Mm. I um, I actually shared, I actually made myself completely vulnerable because I was quite a young, I was still young. I was 32, 33 at the time. Um, and so I actually did a little presentation of my journey to that point and, and, and the really tricky um, obstacles that I'd faced. Mm. Um, and I re- I'll never forget... Uh, the kids all sort of, they were really quiet and they were engaged and they, they, you know, you could hear a pin drop. Yeah. And at the end of the, you know, 45 minutes or so, they said to me, so why, why didn't you tell us this in the first lesson? Why didn't you share this with us from the get go? Hmm. And I remember thinking to myself, I didn't think that that's what kids wanted to hear or that that would help in their learning or, or that the institution where I was working or the system that I was working in would value or want that. Yeah. And, and, and so what I remembered from that is that we need to be vulnerable with our children. We need to be, we need to be ourselves. Mm. Um, you know, my, my kids, I, I, I'm, I, I could keep on going, but I'll cut it short there. Cause no, otherwise. I'll... No, 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 dude. That, I think this is like conversation number two, this idea of being vulnerable um, again, the woman I interviewed earlier today, she talked about her, I think it was her ninth grade uh, math teacher who um, built a relationship. Vulnerability leads to relationship. It leads to trust. And trust is the foundation of, of, all, of all relationships. And so being vulnerable with your kids, whether you are a teacher, a headmaster, as you have been, um, uh, or a parent, that is, uh, that's great wisdom to end on. And you've actually inspired me to go downstairs for dinner. And I'm going to actually tell them, I've done it in pieces, but I'm actually kind of draw the line of my own 
journey and some of the things I've had to deal with and 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 see if they pay attention. Uh, now my kids, <laughs> they're my they're my kids, so they may uh, they may be less interested. But, uh, I, but Matt, they're they're observing you already. Yeah, they're, yeah. You know, by virtue of what you do, they're learning. That's right. That's right. Well That's done, right. mate. Hey, man. Uh, hey. By, the way, by the way, this is not this is not beer. <laughs> okay. Uh huh. This, yeah. This this is kombucha. Yeah. Um, yeah. Confusion. <laughs> yeah. Well, it is like what ten thirty your time, right? In the morning. Yeah. Well, I can we promise you, within seconds after this. Of Australians and what they do. <laughs> well, let me just tell you, after seconds after this call, I'm going to have a beer in my hand. Uh, oh, good man, you deserve it. You deserve. I, after listening to me pontificate, you deserve it. <laughs> can, can we can we touch base again at some point, you know, in the not too distant future? Because I'd love to unpack with you what you guys have gone through in the last four years. Um, and, and as an outsider, and I'm a global politics teacher um, mm. by by trade, so it's just fascinating to see Ooh. how quickly things can unravel. Yes. When the conversations stop being had, you yes. know, um, empathy, you know, you hit the nail on the head. Empathy is the bridge. And if we can't empathize with where people are coming from and why they are frightened, uh, angry. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's now that is a conversation we absolutely should have. And and you're welcome to ask me any question you want, because I have, like you said, I, I kind of see the world differently. Uh, certainly see the U.S. differently than a lot of my friends. And one of them just briefly is I understand, I feel like I understand the entire spectrum of of uh, the population in the United States. I've talked to so many folks and I'm like, oh, I, I get why you're angry. Oh, I get why you supported that candidate or the, I understand it. I, I don't I, I don't agree with it. Right. But I understand it. And uh, seek first to understand is one of those, you know, foundational Beautiful. principles. Right. So, all right, Christoph, we will do that again, and uh, and maybe I will actually have a beer in my hand because if you're asking me about politics in, the, in America, I'm going to definitely need some some sort of sedative uh, to get through <laughs> that conversation. Christoph Menager uh, from Australia, uh, educational innovator and, um, and 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 now a friend. So great to meet you, and looking forward to a future conversation. All right. What a pleasure, Matt. Thanks, mate. All right, bud. Talk to you soon, mate. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening, parents. I hope that this was useful, that it started to give you a bit more of an indication of how learning is shifting and and the things that you as a parent need to be upskilled about. That's what we're about here in the education game. So we're thankful that you were here. Again, hopefully it it was helpful to you. Remember, you can call us to ask us questions free of charge about your family and your child's educational plan and learning journey, uh, go to our website at theeducationgame.com slash contact. Click on the button there and schedule a time for us to have a conversation free of charge, completely free of charge. And it's just a service that we provide. It's underwritten by supporters. So thank you for those supporters as well. Hope this was helpful. Looking forward to seeing you next time on the Education Game podcast. Take care.